So if we identify people in the early stages of being metabolically unhealthy, we can prevent these diseases from occurring. Or once people do have these diseases, we can oftentimes reverse them or lessen their impact. Welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. This podcast is for grandparents on the go with their grandchildren and for parents who want to ensure loving relationships across the generations. I welcome your input and your feedback on every episode of the podcast we produce. Please send me an email at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com or connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Grammy Adventure. Please follow or subscribe to my podcast. It's free so you won't miss an episode and ask your family and friends to do the same. You can subscribe to the monthly newsletter by visiting my website, adventureswithgrammy.com, and clicking the newsletter sign-up link. I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Avedia, a heart surgeon who walks the talk. He has lost more than 100 pounds and has kept those pounds off for many years. Dr. Avedia has written a fascinating book, Stay Off My Operating Table, A Heart Surgeon's Metabolic Health Guide to Lose Weight, Prevent Disease, and feel your best every day. As with many Americans, I need to lose weight. I look at pictures from 10 years ago and wonder how did these pounds creep up on me. I find it harder and harder to lose weight. I used to be able to walk a little faster, exercise a little longer, or lay off the ice cream for a few weeks and the pounds would come off. That's not working for me now. After reading an advanced copy of his book and interviewing Dr. Avedia, I now know Metabolic health is more important than the number on the scale. Dr. Avedia gives us five measures to determine our metabolic health, and I am pleased only one of my numbers is off. But there's a thin Carolyn hiding inside me, and I want her back. If any of you are interested in joining me on a weight loss challenge, please send an email and let's do this together. Dr. Avedia, the listeners and I need to know your secret because we need increased energy to keep up with our grandkids and to live healthy lives to see them grow up. Let's start with your own journey. You said that you've lost 100 pounds. How did you do that? Your experience, I think, mirrors a very common experience that as we get older, it becomes more and more difficult to keep weight off. My experience uh, actually starts as a child. I was always overweight. And this was also despite the fact that I was very active as a child. I played sports years round and I would ride my bike or walk to school much of the time. And it just, my weight continued to increase as I went through college and ultimately I got to medical school and found myself, you know, very overweight at that point. And after I finished medical school and I was doing my training to become a heart surgeon, I, a couple of times just decided that I needed to lose weight. And I did what I was taught in medical school, which was count my calories, eat less and move more. And that would work in the short term. But as many people experience, I gained back the weight and more. And fast forward now about 10 years into my career as a heart surgeon. And I realized that I was going to end up on my own operating table, so to speak. I, by this point, was now morbidly obese and pre-diabetic. If I didn't do something, I was going to end up with heart disease or diabetes or one of the other chronic diseases that affects so many people. But I really was at a loss because, as I had said, I had tried what I was taught in medical school, eat less, move more, eat a low-fat diet. 
Thankfully, right around that time, I came across some different information. And this at first came from a scientific journalist by the name of Gary Tobbs. And I heard Gary speak at one of the medical conferences I was attending. And Gary put forth the theory that it wasn't so much how much food we ate, but it was more the types of food that we ate that determined whether or not we were going to be obese and unhealthy. Specifically, Gary's book, The Case Against Sugar and Why We Get Fat, you know, talks about that primarily eating fat, eating carbohydrates and sugar is what makes us fat. And so I went on a low carbohydrate, low sugar diet, and I was able to lose weight. And for the first time in my life, I was able to actually keep that weight off for a long period of time. Over the past five years, I have now successfully lost over 100 pounds, and I have maintained that weight loss. And more importantly, I came to discover what is the true cause of most of the chronic diseases that we face, especially heart disease, which is the chronic disease that I deal with every day as a heart surgeon. And I came to realize that metabolic health was the most important factor in determining not only if we get obese, but if we get heart disease and other chronic diseases. What exactly is metabolic health? Metabolic health basically refers to the body's handling of the inputs that we are giving it, primarily in the form of food. When we eat, our body is supposed to do one of three things. Some of that food gets immediately turned into energy to get us through our day, to fuel all the cellular activities that are going on in our bodies uh, nonstop. Some of that food goes towards building and rebuilding our tissues. Um, you know, all of our tissues are constantly being turned over. Uh, hopefully, we're building muscle and building new bone and things like that. And so, you know, some of the food has to go through that. And then a portion of the food is supposed to be stored in case we get to times where food is not available. The problem these days is that we end up storing too much energy and we never really get to use that energy because for the most part, food is always available to us. Even when food isn't available or we're not eating, because of the types of food that we eat that have led to us no longer being metabolically healthy, our body is not even able to use that energy that is stored. And this is why people can, at the same time, be very overweight, yet be hungry all the time. In your book, you say there are 12 myths that they, and I, I suppose you mean the medical community, the food industry want us to believe. Can you explain the, some of those myths? Sure thing. And the first thing I want people to recognize about these myths is that these are myths that even doctors believe for the most part. As we go through the, some of these myths, many people are going to be saying to themselves, but my doctor told me that was true. You have to realize that the medical system, the healthcare system these days has been corrupted by the pharmaceutical industry, by the food industry, and quite frankly, the healthcare industry itself sometimes doesn't have a focus on helping people remain healthy. The healthcare system is focused on treating unhealthy people. And 
I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made in medicine is that we have lost sight of the fact that people can and should be healthy for most of their lives. The first myth that I think is very important for people to understand is that the myth is that only obese people are metabolically unhealthy. And the reality is, is that you do not need to be obese to be metabolically unhealthy. When we look at the statistics, 88% of the adults in the United States are metabolically unhealthy. Only 12% of the adults in the United States are metabolically healthy. If you are overweight, if you are obese, it is very, very likely that you are not metabolically healthy. It is rare to be obese and metabolically healthy. But if you are not obese, there is still a very good chance that you are not metabolically healthy. About 40% of normal weight or underweight people are not metabolically healthy. Most people will go to their physicians for their annual checkup and the doctor will say, well, you're not overweight, so you're doing fine. And the reality is, is that's simply not true. You can be metabolically unhealthy and not be overweight. And it's very important that you understand that as a patient, and then you can prompt your physician to go deeper than just, I'm not overweight, so I must be healthy. And this is important because we know that being metabolically unhealthy leads to most of the chronic diseases that we face, things like heart disease, things like diabetes, things like Alzheimer's disease, even many forms of cancer are related to poor metabolic health. So if we identify people in the early stages of being metabolically unhealthy, we can prevent these diseases from occurring. Or once people do have these diseases, we can oftentimes reverse them or lessen their impact if we recognize that they are not metabolically healthy and we take the steps to fix that. Some of the other myths that I go through in the book are related to the food pyramid. The myths are that the food pyramid is good for you and that the food pyramid is based on good science. The evidence is all around us, quite frankly, that the food pyramid has not been beneficial to our health. We have had the food pyramid in place in various forms now for over 40 years. And as I said, the vast majority of us are not metabolically healthy. Oftentimes you'll hear people say that the reason that the food pyramid isn't keeping us healthy is because people aren't following the food pyramid. But when you look at the foods that we eat, specifically here in the United States, although quite frankly, this is now a worldwide phenomena, what we eat is largely in line with the dietary guidelines. We eat a very high carbohydrate, low fat diet with all of what we're told are the healthy whole grains and the fake oils, the vegetable and seed oils, as opposed to the natural fats that we used to eat. The more we have been doing that, the worse our health is getting. What do you consider the natural fats as opposed to the oils? Like I use olive oil. Is that a healthy oil? Yes. I think the healthiest fats that people could consume are the animal-based fats. So those are things like lard and tallow, butter, and ghee is a derivative of butter. And then I think the fruit oils the fruit fats are okay to use. So these are coconut oil, avocado oil, and olive oil. What you want to avoid is the seed oils. And there are 
oftentimes called vegetable oils, but things like canola oil, soybean oil, safflower oil. These oils take a lot of processing. They are not something that our bodies have been used to consuming. They were only introduced into the food supply in the past 100, 150 years or so. The millions of years of evolution that we were not eating these things, our bodies did not evolve to eat these oils. It's very important to avoid the seed oils, the vegetable oils. As you said, olive oil is very healthy. Coconut oil is healthy. Avocado oil is healthy. And then the animal-based fats are healthy. One of the issues that I have, and I I feel as if I'm a pretty intelligent, well-read person, but the information is always conflicting. One year, it is okay to eat coconut oil. And then you read this other article from what seems to be a reputable magazine or newspaper that says coconut oil is not healthy for you. And I think it's confusing. And one of your myths is that the people who produce our food want us to be healthy. And the skeptical part of me says, well, the people who produce our food really want us to spend money so they can make profits. How can we learn what's healthy? How do we dispel that myth? Yeah, that's a very difficult one. Because as you said, people who make our food are only interested in selling us more food. And they really have no reason to be concerned about our health. It's not, it's not their concern. They are a business and they are there to make profits. And then, as you said, we get a lot of conflicting information. Coconut oil is a good example. Eggs are another great example. It doesn't even seem to be year to year. It seems to be month to month that we're hearing eggs are bad, eggs are good, eggs are bad, eggs are good. You know, it's interesting because both of those, eggs and coconut oil, the only reason that we think they might be bad or that certain people think they might be bad is because they contain high amounts of saturated fat. When you really go back and you look at how we got to where we are in terms of our food environment, One of the biggest mistakes that was made was the concept that saturated fat in our diets was the primary cause of heart disease. Now we actually know that not to be true, but the side effect of being so worried about saturated fat in our diets was that we started to try and find substitutes for the saturated fat. And that's where we came up with things like vegetable and seed oils. That's where we started eating margarine instead of butter. Coconut oil, as it turns out, is one of the highest content of saturated fat of just about any oil. It's even higher saturated fat than meats and eggs. That was one of the biggest mistakes that was made. That is one of the underlying concepts in the food pyramid. And that's what led to the food companies then responding to the food pyramid and the food guidelines and starting to make all of these low-fat foods which then became higher in sugar and carbohydrates and has led us to the point where 88% of us are no longer healthy. Which is very sad. Yes. Yes. And a very, very scary statistic. And in fact, it continues to get worse. That data is actually from 2016. It's pretty likely that the number is even worse today in 2021. Talk about cholesterol. There's a 
high density cholesterol and low density cholesterol. I know they're supposed to be this ratio. How do we keep that ratio in balance so that we're healthy? Myth number six that I put in my book is that high cholesterol causes heart disease. It turns out that cholesterol is not the primary cause of heart disease. Cholesterol plays a part in what ultimately leads to heart disease, but it's not the primary cause. As you said, there are actually three kind of major components to cholesterol. When you get your blood work drawn and you get a lipid panel or a cholesterol panel, there's usually going to be three, three numbers on there. There's going to be your LDL, low density lipoprotein cholesterol. That's what most people refer to as bad cholesterol. There's going to be your HDL, your high density lipoprotein. That's what people usually refer to as good cholesterol. And then there's going to be your triglycerides. And it turns out when you look at the data around heart disease specifically and cholesterol, triglycerides and HDL cholesterol are both bigger predictors of your risk of heart disease than your LDL cholesterol. And many people are going to be confused by that because what most people experience yeah. when they go to the doctor is they will have gotten their cholesterol panel checked. And the only number that the doctor is going to mention to them to discuss with them is the LDL cholesterol. And the reason that is, is because we have medications that can lower LDL cholesterol. And we have guidelines that say that if your LDL cholesterol is too high, you should be on one of these medications. But as I said, the reality is, is that a better predictor of heart disease is if you have a high triglycerides and a low HDL cholesterol, and you can look at the ratio between those two. So your triglycerides divided by your HDL. And that is actually the biggest predictor of heart disease, because that reflects what we call insulin resistance and this metabolic health, metabolic disease that we're talking about. But since we don't have a medication that can correct those two things, we don't have a medication that can re reliably raise your HDL cholesterol or lower your triglyceride level. The medical industry, the healthcare industry does not focus on those as much as they should. Those two numbers can be changed very effectively with changing the types of food that you eat. Uh, but again, that's a discussion that largely the healthcare industry doesn't have with people. My first husband sadly died when he was 59 years old. His mother at age 37 had had a heart attack. And my husband at age 42 had a major heart attack and within 48 hours had two more. And the cardiologist didn't understand why he was still living. And I remember saying to him, I can give you four reasons. We have three children and my husband is one of the most stubborn men you'll ever meet in your life. And the children were young and Gary was young and he didn't want to die. He had been the picture of health. He was a high school athlete. And what the doctors later said to us is that a virus attacked his heart and he wound up with congestive heart failure. And if it hadn't been for a LVAD, a left ventricular assist device that he had been on with a clinical trial, his 
17 year battle with heart disease would have been even shorter. So here was a man who, I mean, he cooked all the time. We hardly ever ate out and he was active yet he died from heart disease and his triglycerides and his cholesterol levels always were in check. That was not the cause of his heart disease. Yes. So, um, you know, understand uh, it's important, I think, for your audience to understand that there are different forms of heart disease. The most common form of heart disease in the United States and worldwide is what we call atherosclerotic heart disease. And basically that just means that it the heart disease is a result of blockages building up in the arteries and therefore not enough blood flow ultimately getting to the muscle of the heart. And that's what most commonly causes heart attacks. Now, there are less common causes of heart disease. There are problems with the heart valves that can either be people can be born with those or they can develop over time. There are as your husband unfortunately experienced, you know, viruses that can attack the heart. Um, but ultimately, metabolic health can help prevent many of the causes of heart disease, especially the atherosclerotic heart disease. And metabolic health can also improve when people have heart disease from just about any reason. Um, and unfortunately, you know, metabolic health is not the focus of the heart, you know, community, the, the healthcare around the heart community. Our focus around heart health is primarily focused on cholesterol. And as we discussed, cholesterol really isn't a primary cause of heart disease. So by focusing only on cholesterol, we've been doing a, a very poor job of you know, really improving the results around heart disease. And again, heart disease has been the number one killer in the United States and worldwide for the past 20 to 30 years without any noticeable improvement, despite all of our focus on cholesterol, all of the new drugs we have around cholesterol. For someone like your husband who, who comes to me with heart failure that maybe wasn't due to atherosclerosis, even those people can benefit from improving their metabolic health uh, because that in and of itself has been shown to help improve heart function. And again, that's a message that many people don't get in the heart disease community. And that's what I'm trying to change with my book and with the other efforts that I have. The next couple of myths are all about diets and restricting calories and exercise. Why are those myths? Many people have heard that the way to lose weight is eat less than you burn, eat less, move more, or calories in, calories out is how it oftentimes gets framed. From a strictly kind of physics standpoint is yes, you need your body to burn more calories than you were taking in if you want to lose weight. But the problem is, is that focusing only on the calories that you're eating is not a sustainable way to lose weight. We know if you restrict the calories too much that you're eating, your body is going to burn less calories. We have a very hard time actually measuring accurately how many calories we eat 
And we really have no way of measuring accurately in everyday life how many calories we burn. All of that good put together um, leads us to a point where we've been told to just eat less calories than we burn to lose weight, but we really have no good way of measuring all of that. Plus, we also are told the keto diet, there's the Mediterranean diet, there's this diet, there's that diet. It's confusing. Well, it is very confusing. Um, but, you know, what I think is different about the keto diet, the Mediterranean diet, and these are all things I talk about in the book, is that they are primarily focused on the types of food that you're eating. And that is a better way to lose weight, ultimately. Um, the central theme of my book is that by focusing on metabolic health, by finding foods that are going to support your metabolic health, you will lose weight if you need to lose weight. Um, you will give yourself the lowest chance of developing the chronic diseases that we've been talking about, heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, cancer, all of these things that affect us so much. But what I do try and tell people is that I don't think our primary focus should be on losing weight. I think our primary focus should be on achieving and maintaining good metabolic health. And when the body is metabolically healthy, it is going to find a healthy weight to be at. You say that there's uh, five markers of metabolic health. Can you, can you help the listeners understand what those are? Yes, five measures that we typically use to assess metabolic health. The first one is something you can measure at home. It's your waist circumference. So you take a tape measure just above the level of your belly button. You measure the circumference. You go around with it. And if you are a woman, you want that to be less than 35 inches. If you are a man, you want that to be less than 40 inches. That is considered metabolically healthy. The second measurement is your blood pressure. You can check this at home. You can check this at the supermarket or the drugstore these days. You can go to your doctor and get it checked. You want your blood pressure to be less than 130 on the top number, the systolic blood pressure, we call it, less than 85 on the bottom number, the diastolic blood pressure. And that needs to be without medications. If you are on any medications to lower your blood pressure, you've already not met this measure of good metabolic health. And then measurements, you know, three, four, and five come from your blood work. So the first one is your fasting blood glucose level, the amount of sugar that's in your blood after you haven't eaten for about eight to 12 hours. And you want that number to be less than 100. And again, that should be without medication. So if you have already been diagnosed with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, if you're on medications to lower your blood sugar, that is a sign that you are not metabolically healthy. And then those final two numbers are the cholesterol numbers that we talked about, the HDL cholesterol and the triglycerides. So importantly, it is not your LDL cholesterol. Your LDL cholesterol has no relationship to your metabolic health. For the HDL cholesterol, the good cholesterol number, as it's called, the higher, the better. If you're a man, you want that to be over 40. If you're a woman, you want it to be over 50. And then your triglycerides, the lower, the better. You want that to be less than 150. So you look at those five measurements. If you have three of those measurements are not within the healthy range, you have what we call metabolic syndrome. 
And that means that you are at very high risk for diabetes, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's disease, uh, and many other you know, chronic diseases. If you have one or two of those abnormal, it's a warning sign because we know that people who have one or two abnormal measurements there, it's highly likely that over time they're going to progress the metabolic syndrome. So you want to take action. You want to do the things that you need to do to, you know, improve, reestablish your metabolic health before it progresses. How difficult is that? It turns out that if you are doing the right things, it's not that difficult. We can get into a little bit about what the right things are. I think the simplest concept I give people on how to improve their metabolic health is to eat real food. We should be eating the things that grow in the ground, and then we should be eating the things that eat the things that grow in the ground. So these should be animal products. These should be plant products, vegetables, and fruits. And they should be kind of as close to their natural form as possible. So again, we want to avoid highly processed foods. I tell people, if it comes in a box, you shouldn't eat it. If it has an ingredient list that's more than two or three simple ingredients that you can identify, you shouldn't eat it. If you stick to eating whole real food, you're going to be giving your body the nutrition that it needs. And more importantly, you're not going to be giving your body the things that damage our metabolic health, things like the vegetable and seed oils, things like highly processed carbohydrates. Those are the types of things that make up all of the processed food that we eat. In the hierarchy of the things that will help us, what should we do first? The diet is the primary thing. And as I said, I think that the most important thing around diet is to eat whole real food. So look at what you're eating. Look at what you buy when you go to the supermarket. One of the tips that I give people is when you're going to the supermarket to shop, you really should only be staying in the outer perimeter of the supermarket. You're going to have your produce and your fruit section. You're going to have your dairy section. You're going to have your seafood and your meats and all of that stuff in the middle of the supermarket, which is unfortunately about 90% of the supermarket is processed food that is not going to support your metabolic health. That's the processed foods, the high sugar. What about exercise? Is there one exercise that is better than another? And especially for grandparents who often find it difficult to move, what's something that they can do? What's an, that's a good exercise for a grandparent? The first concept that I discuss with people around exercise is really not even focusing on exercise per se. It's focusing on moving more throughout your day. The mistake that I think a lot of people make is that they'll go to the gym for an hour and they'll do whatever exercise they do there, but then they spend the rest of their day sitting around and not being active. And more importantly, what has a greater impact on you ultimately is if you can be more active throughout your day, you're going to end up in a better place than if you only do a limited amount of exercise and then are not active throughout your day. The exercise that you do, more important to be focused on building and maintaining muscle. It is clear that as we get older, one of the biggest things that puts us at risk 
is not having enough muscle. This oftentimes ends up manifesting as falling and breaking your hip very commonly or getting injured and not being able to recover from that injury. So the more that we can focus on building and maintaining muscle and just being more active throughout our day, the better it's going to be for our metabolic health. How important is sleep in metabolic health? And sleep issues are a huge problem for older adults. Yes, uh, definitely so. And I do tell people that sleep is very important. Now, the way I look at sleep a little differently than I think most people will have heard is I don't tell my patients that, you know, you need X amount of hours of sleep, seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, you know, all these numbers are out there. What I tell people is that you need to be getting enough sleep enough sleep that you feel rested when you wake up in the morning and you can make it through your day without being tired all of the time. It turns out that sleep and metabolic health are very closely related. And it's kind of a a, a feedback loop, a, a circular thing. The more quality sleep you get, the better your metabolic health is going to be. And the better that your metabolic health is, the better the quality of your sleep is going to be. So it turns out that as I have gotten metabolically healthy, I need less amount of sleep. I oftentimes will only sleep five or six hours in a night, but the sleep that I do get is higher quality sleep. And therefore I feel better rested and I'm able to make it through my day with plenty of energy. It's important to get good quality sleep and then get enough of it and fixing your metabolic health Again, starting with your diet primarily, doing these other things like exercise and stress reduction, all of that is going to lead to getting better sleep. My mother is almost 90 years old, and the only health issue she has is sleep. And I find that remarkable. She takes no medicine for blood pressure, no medicine for cholesterol, no medicine for anything but she's a farm girl. She grew up on a farm. She's used to hard work and she literally runs circles around me. Whenever I call her, she is doing something constantly, whether it's out in the garden or in the garage sweeping or doing whatever. And I marvel at her and am confused about her inability to sleep through the night. And it it is impacting her now, but you know, she's almost 90 years old too. Your mother sounds like it embodies kind of everything we've been talking about so far in this podcast, remaining (laughs) active. uh, I'm sure she grew up eating only whole real food and likely had continued to do that for, you know, a significant portion of her life. All of that leads to a point where you can be 90 years old and not be on any medications, which is exceedingly unusual. The reality is, is that these days it is common and basically expected that at 50 years old, so almost half her age, a little bit more than half her age, the statistics show that the majority of people by the time they're 50 years old are going to be on multiple medications, not just one medication. It is very unusual for someone to make it to 90 years old and not be on any medications or multiple medications, but that should be our expectation. That should be our reality because that used to be very common. And now it's not anymore. Yes. My life the last several years has been rather stressful. 
And I keep looking at my mom as my role model to say, I need to get back to where I was. And it's not uncommon for my mom. Well, she doesn't have a garden now, but it was not uncommon for my mom to walk outside and find a turnip or a radish or a tomato and literally pick it up and eat it right out of the garden. I've seen her do that many times. I need to plant a garden and get back to doing that as well. I admire my mom greatly. How do you get started with a doctor who doesn't push pills, but pushes a good overall metabolic health? The most important thing is asking questions around some of the topics that we've been discussing. So when you go to your doctor for your routine physical and they just look at you and say, oh, you're healthy, push back and say, I know that these five markers need to be in good range for me to be healthy. What do those numbers look like for me? And if they're having trouble answering or they kind of look at you like, what are you talking about? That might be a sign that they're not the ideal physician for you. If you go and you know they diagnose you with a condition like high blood pressure, or type two diabetes. And the only solution they can give you to that is medication. Again, ask them the questions. Is this because of the types of food that I've been eating? Is this because I am not metabolically healthy? Why is this? And if, again, if they can't answer those questions, those might not be the best physicians to work with. People need to realize that they are responsible for their own health. You can't rely on the system anymore to keep you healthy because it simply doesn't do that. We have the statistics like we've been talking about. If you only do what the system tells you to do, you're going to end up with the same results as everyone around you, which is you're going to be unhealthy. So people need to be starting to take a more active role in their health. They need to be asking these questions. Why can't I fix this problem? with my diet? Is this problem related to my diet? And of course, not 100% of problems are fixable with diet, but the vast majority of them are. And it should at least be part of the discussion around just about any medical problem that people might encounter. I agree. I think it is up to us to take charge of our life in a healthy way. And rely on our physicians as consultants and not the know everything. And they can't fix something if the other other party isn't willing to do his or her work as well. They can't be with us in the grocery store. So it is up to us to take ownership of our health. I want to mention the title of your book again. I love it. Stay off my operating table a heart surgeon's metabolic health guide to lose weight, prevent disease, and feel your best every day. And that's what I want for my listeners, for my family, my friends, and for myself. And I am thrilled that you were here today and sharing this information with us. Now, this episode is airing prior to the book's release, and you've told me that it's going to be available beginning. November the 11th. Tell listeners who want to go right out and buy a copy so they can start taking charge of their health, where they can find this book, where can they order it and have it available to them on November 11th? Yeah. So the book is going to be on Amazon, 
barnesandnoble.com and the other online major booksellers. It is going to be in print format. It is going to be in an audiobook, and it is also going to be in an electronic Kindle format. Pre-sales on the book should be beginning towards the end of October. And then, as uh, you said, the book is actually going to be released on November 11th. The best way for people to keep up to date on all of that is to sign up for my newsletter. You can do that by going to ifixhearts.co. And when you go to that website, the first thing you're going to do is actually take a quiz about your metabolic health. It's going to march you through those five measures that we talked about, about metabolic health. And if you know all the numbers, the answers to those five questions, it's going to give you an assessment of your metabolic health. And as you do that, you can also sign up to join my newsletter and all of the information about the when it goes up for pre-sale and when it's going to be released will be in the uh, weekly newsletter I send out. We've talked a lot about taking charge of your health, the kinds of foods to eat, the kinds of measures to look at if you're metabolically healthy, how to talk with your physician. Is there anything else that you want listeners to know that we haven't discussed? I would just reiterate what we touched on in that people need to take an active role in their health. They need to challenge their doctors if they are told that the only solution to their problem is to take medication. They need to be intentional about the types of food that they're eating. And they need to seek out physicians, other healthcare practitioners who are going to support them in taking back control of their health. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.